Hey, this is the Tangled Podcast. I'm Julian DiLorenzo. Tangled is a show where I talk to people doing innovative stuff in a bunch of areas, including agriculture, energy, and architecture. I'm interested in how we can take ideas from the way ecosystems function to make human systems better. The ongoing bushfires in southeastern Australia are a horrible reminder that we need to change the way we're operating. But I don't think it's as simple as trying to reduce carbon emissions. So over the next few weeks, I'm going to talk to some people who have ideas about more tangible and effective ways of managing landscapes, including urban areas, farms, and bushland. If we don't reinstate a functioning water cycle, then things are going to get worse, no matter how much CO2 is in the air. Today I'm speaking to Michael Mobbs. Michael is a former environmental lawyer from Sydney who became known as the off-grid guy. Because in 1996, he began the process of disconnecting his inner city home in Sydney from mains, water, sewerage and electricity. We don't spend a lot of time talking about the specifics of what he's done at his house, but his website has a lot of information uh, and he's written a whole book on it. The book is called Sustainable House and you can buy a copy from Michael's website, sustainablehouse.com.au. That site also has information about Michael's other work, designing urban systems to capture rain and grow food. In the interview, Michael also mentions a new prefabricated self-sufficient home that he's hoping to have available for sale soon. If you're curious about that, contact Michael directly through his website. And I'll also put links to everything we talk about in the show notes for this episode, which you can find at tangledpodcast.com. Righto, here's the interview. Can you paint a picture of the way in which the design of modern cities and modern buildings change what would have been the natural water cycle and the impact of that? In Sydney, before we um, came from overseas and started building in an overseas way, about 60 to 80% of the water stayed where it fell. After we built our cities, that was reversed and now about 60 to 80% of water runs off. To give a, an image of how much that is, the water that runs off Sydney each year and is wasted is about the same size as all the water in Sydney Harbour. So we're sitting in a house that you've been in for around a quarter century, I think. Yeah, since the beginning Um, of time. I bought this house in 1978. Um, There was the sound of gunfire, rockets and... uh, altercations. It was bound to improve in value because it's right beside the central business district of Sydney. It's about a 45-minute walk here from here to the Opera House. Um, And we're just sitting in a house that was built in 1894 for a taxi driver, actually a horse and carriage driver in those days. An old um, workers' cottage really, or terrace, and it's 28 degrees today, it's lovely and cool inside. That's because all the adjoining houses share their coolness with me. Um, so it's a great simple um, environment to live in. Mm. Mm. Can you give me the, the really quick version of the process of your transformation in this house? Uh, yeah, I was the consultant to the New South Wales Parliament inquiry into Sydney Water. The parliamentary inquiry was asked to say how shall we manage Sydney's water, sewage and stormwater. 
from the next decade. During the 18-month inquiry in 93 to 94, I formed the view, and I was the only consultant, I did the policy and technical work, and I wrote the report. I formed the view that it would gather dust on shelves and be ignored. So I decided to do many of the things that highly qualified and highly respected engineers said could not be done. I think I've read something that you've said before about the, that you sort of not get a thrill, but you do you enjoy proving people wrong when they've previously told you that something can't be done. Yeah, I think that when an architect, an engineer, a planner says to somebody, you can't do that, the words really mean, I haven't done that, I don't have the courage to admit that, I don't want you to ask me to do that because I'm afraid I'll fail and I'll be sued or something terrible will happen. It's interesting that the city building professions and people are afraid of change and yet the great cities are the ones where um, people do make change. Imagine if Roman engineers had said, oh, we can't do that. We wouldn't have had aqueducts that are thousands of years old. We wouldn't have had the most amazing hydraulic designs. So I'm, I, I'm really, I think, lucky that there's a weird part of me that when somebody says you can't do that, I know what they're saying is I'm afraid of change. And I, I feel rich because of that. You have severed your connections with mains, mm. electricity and water, mm. uh, which is, are, are you still the only person in Sydney that, that you know of that's done that? No, others have done it. Okay, okay. I'm just the, um, I mean, the house is a famous one um, from a number of reasons. There's a model of it in a permanent exhibition in the Powers Museum called Ecologic. Um, Yes, I did it for myself. Yes, I did it to show the Parliament that the things that the report recommended could be done. No, I don't like being in the media. I don't um, shy away from your request to talk to you because in many ways I see what I've done as a failure. We sit in a house where the data is clear widely published, widely read in, in respected publications. and Yet, this house is the minority development. It's as though this culture has never landed here. I've heard other people say similar things, and I, I think it's a, definitely an astute observation. Um, we're, we're certainly not taught in school how to observe our environment and make decisions, uh, you know, based on the weather, the water, the ecology, um, sort of, even though all those things have such an obvious impact on our daily existence. You're so right. It's interesting that we call it education, but what, what I see is kids who actually don't know about food, don't know about water. The only reason I know about it is I had the gift of growing up on a farm out west we children would have a bath, then our mother would have a bath in the same water, 
and our father would come home from the paddocks and have a bath in the, in, in the dirtiest water. And we saw that if it rained, we got crops. If it didn't, we didn't get crops. We knew that water meant happiness and money, or sometimes floods. I'll tell you an interesting story. Um, my favourite place to chill and relax is the Botanic Gardens near the Opera House. They're letting the roses and other plants that aren't unique die because they don't have enough water. I've done some calculations that there's between 6 and 12 million litres of water that falls on the footpaths um, of the Royal Botanic Gardens and is wasted and goes to the ocean. I was there when it rained last week and I saw this amazing thing. There's a downpipe and the water was discharging into a drain that was going into the ocean. The ocean is not thirsty. And then right beside it, somebody in workers' clothes pulled up, got a little spinner and turned on um, an irrigation tap. And I thought, how could you be that person and not see, see what is right in front of your eyes? Yeah, that, I think that really typifies our modern uh, way of dealing with, with water, this, I suppose. This is, yeah. this is our showpiece garden and they waste water. And I looked at a gutter yesterday um, in Sydney University. Gutters are the main source of houses burning down during fires because they hold leaves and embers go in there. So I'm I'm looking at you now and I'm putting my two thumbs together and my fingers up, forming a big U. Can you imagine anything more stupid? I would think that the first thing I would do is ban open gutters from certainly houses with trees around them because that's where the fires start. And it's representative of how we don't understand water. You can have many gutters which will shed the leaves and the embers because the top of the gutter is covered and directs the leaves and the embers away and by surface tension draws the water into the inside of the, of the gutter. And yet if, if I was to talk to a tall, dark, handsome plumber with broad shoulders and narrow hips and a snorting steed outside, he would say in a very confident voice, those gutters don't work. What he's really saying is, I've never used them. I don't have the courage to say I've never used them. I don't, don't want to do something different. You've been here for a long time. It's not like you've been completely ignored. Um, you've been in the media. You've, you, you, you've talked to politicians, yada, yada, yada. Uh, do you think the main reason that your ideas have not become more widespread is because of inertia? And, you know, unless, unless people are faced with an utter emergency directly in their face, they're very unlikely to, to change their ways. Is that? I, I, think, I think that is a great question. Architects have cl- declared a climate emergency. Engineers are thinking about it. Councils have cl- declared a climate emergency. I would stake my house that in each of those professional organisations and councils, there is still no requirement to use gutters that shed 
embers and leaves. There's still no requirement for the, them to put in pipes and new flats and units so that it's possible to recycle water. I, I see no change in the bureaucracy. It's just, it's like if you wanted to set up a society and a culture which is doomed to fail, this is the one you would set up. And yet you talk to them and they're genuinely interested in doing something about droughts, bushfires, climate change, water shortage. But when you talk about the specifics I've just spoken about, there's actually no curiosity. There's actually no energy for change. Yeah, I, I, I feel the same way. I think um, so often the entire discussion around these sorts of things is centred on um, the parts per million of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere and what we can do to make big top-down decisions about taxation. I'm so strongly in agreement with you. I've just been whinging about how we could use gutters that would stop houses burning um, and how the people in charge of it won't listen and won't do it. There's no difference in that dynamic to the dynamic of criticising um, the federal government, the prime minister. They'll never change. I can't imagine them changing because to change is just not part of their DNA. And so it's people like you and I, people listening to us talking, who've got the real power. We must exercise our own real power. So if somebody's listening to that and they're putting on new gutters, use self-cleaning, ember shedding, leaf shedding gutters, and try and use the water that falls there for anything you can on your household site. You make use of a bunch of nifty little innovations that actually have a big impact. Can, mm. you, can you tell me what a leaky drain is? Yeah. So in the space between a house front and the downpipe that goes under the footpath and then into the gutter, there's um, often grass or a verge. What we did here in 2008, about 40 houses um, dug up those gutters in the road verge, sawed the pipes off and replaced them with what is called agricultural drainage pipe, which is just a slotted or holy pipe with geofabric. So when it rains, the water leaks through the drains into the verge and feeds the trees the water they need below the ground. So it's a really efficient way of um, keeping water where it falls. For that work on the 20 or so or maybe 40 houses, I forget now. We paid $300 um, for the ag pipe, and then we got bricks and rubbish and put it in the gutter um, or below the pipe. We saved 4 million litres of water a year for a one-off cost of $300. I don't know if, if you notice it, but our street here is cool. The trees are healthier than other uh, trees. And I would say to people, don't talk to a planner, don't talk to a council, talk to yourself, get hold of a pick and a shovel, get a hacksaw, go at the front and do it, cover it up. You know what? No one knows. In, in this council, in this area, the council now copies it. So they recently did some new 
footpaths and they got the water running off their council buildings. And it was just a joy the other day when it was raining. I walked past and I I'm weird. I look and I perv on downpipes and gutters. So there I was perving on, on the gutters with the, with the holes with the drain, no water coming out. Then I walked to other streets and the water that was raining was rushing down. It just it really physically hurt me to see that beautiful water going away. Yeah, especially when we've had over 200 years since Europeans have been here dealing with drought and we're still having more droughts and complaining and having to put in place water restrictions. But then when it rains, you watch it flowing in rivers to the ocean. <laughs> I did a, a road garden at Bondi Beach outside a cafe called the Shop and Wine Bar. And there's a block of units there. We did that there. We just sawed off the pipe, put it below the garden we built there. And um, I went there about four weeks after a bit of rain a few months ago, not much, and dug down and the soil where the roots are was moist. You and I, I'm looking at you and I'm looking at your mouth. That's where we feed and eat. Trees, I'm looking now at your shoes. Trees eat through their shoes. Their roots are down there. The water on the top is almost useless to them now because the soil is so dry and hard that when the rain hits it, it runs off. You know, the solutions that you and I are discussing are so simple, so cheap, so easy to do. That's my chook. The chook is either in fierce agreement or, or disagreement or just wants some more food. You've recently also put a lot of effort into helping people grow food in the city. Can you tell me about that experience? Food, how we buy it, how we deal with leftover food, is the only game in town. If people would realise that water and the way we use it, I mean, waste food is probably about 40 to 60% water. When you, when you turn that into to compost and into soil, you're actually keeping water that's in that waste food in the soil. And so I've saved about um, 2 million litres of sewage, 2 million litres of stormwater from leaving this house since I did it in 1996. Really, our great, um, great-grandparents, they were really sustainable. They didn't bang on about it like I do. They just grew some food in the back garden. So buy from the local farmer's markets. There's farmer's markets all around us. And talk to the farmers. Wonderful line in a Simon and Garfunkel song about being the only living boy in New York City. And he sings, I get the news I need on the weather report. Beautifully sung, Michael. So anyway, um, talk to the farmers. That's, they've got the weather report you need. Uh, I think I've read you're involved in a new project to design a prefab, yeah. resilient, sustainable yeah. place. Can you, can you tell me about that? Yeah, look. I don't want to use the word sustainable anymore if I can avoid it. I want to sell houses on price and outcompete mainstream houses so that I'm hoping to bring to market next month a studio house with solar panels, batteries, recycling, water and sewage system for less than $50,000 made out of recycled steel and timber and bushfire proof. 
And then you can have larger versions, one, two, and three bedrooms. And so panels would be prefabricated yeah, and yes, transported, yeah. or how, how does that work? To, to, it, it can go on the back of a truck as a built um, house, wide enough to fit on a 2.8-metre wide truck tray, um, but also in panels that are light enough to assemble. And the aim is to have it so that it, um, it's easy to assemble on site with few tools and get really good seals and so on. The, is it sort of a modular wastewater systems and that sort of thing that, yeah, you've, that yeah. have already existed and you've yeah. um, brought yeah. together a few different technologies? Exactly. I'm working with people I've worked with and say, will you join me? Give me your products at a reduced rate because we're doing multiples. And then somebody comes to the house. It's all integrated. It's all there. They walk in and turn the light on, turn the tap on and they're home. There are a lot of single people, young and old, who can't afford houses and don't want a big one. They just want something where um, they could swing a cat. Although if you were to swing a cat in this smallest version, the cat would want to have a very short tail. Uh, and you said it's bushfire proof. Yeah. Uh, what goes into there that? Are, there are um, three ways. Steel over the windows and, and doors. Um, charred timber. It's a Japanese technique where you burn the outside one millimetre of the, of the timber. Obviously, they'll have ember shedding gutters. And thirdly, using particular materials that are really resistant to fire. Will the manufacturing be based in Sydney? Yeah. I'm, I'm working with a, a Sydney manufacturer that is passionate about recycling steel, concrete and timber. Mm. And some of this timber, you know, it's just beautiful. You'll never see it again. You know, it was brought to Australia in ships as ballast um, from Canada or overseas. And, you know, it's you and I sitting at a, I would say, a beautiful table. It's from a weed tree, a camphor laurel tree from my parents' farm. A, a, but it's regarded as a waste timber, you know, but look at it. Um, they do make chopping boards out of camphor laurel trees, but there's so much that we can use. I've um, been shown by this guy. He's, he bought... 800 doors that were surplus, that were new, that had been wrongly built or something. He's got 800 doors that otherwise would have gone to the tip. He has people coming from demolition sites and they give him beautiful timber full of nails. He's got three blokes. All they do is take the nails out and re-mill the timber. And when you see it, you, your heart just melts. It's the most... Beautiful town, we'll never see it again. You recently took the train across the Nullarbor, I read, from Sydney to Perth. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, so the train leaves Perth um, and travels through that state, then across the Nullarbor into South Australia, then across to Broken Hill and down here. Uh, That was about um, seven months ago. Because I grew up in the bush... I could see that most of that country was dead. Rusty wire, um, boundary fences broken, untended, abandoned farmhouses, abandoned farmland. And amazingly, in some places, sheep on um, paddocks with no shade, eating nothing. And then I did another trip 
uh, towards the end of last year down to Bermagui and then another trip up north. On all the ridges, the trees are dead. And um, last week I went out to Bathurst. 40%, I estimate, of the hillsides of trees are dead. The country's dying. And I feel hope when I talk to people like you because the solutions are in our hands. I mean, here's a simple tip. Just get a a basin and put it in your sink. And for one day, uh, when you wash your hands, when you rinse the veggies, when you rinse the dishes, whether they've got grease or detergent, doesn't matter, and then put it into a bucket, you'll probably have between 20 and 10 litres of water in that bucket. And you can put it on your garden. Okay, it's got soap and grease on it. But eventually, you'll find other places to put it. You won't kill the plants, just spread it around a bit. And we can do that every day in our own kitchen, our own bathroom. And when you do that, it's like when you give some something to somebody, the act of giving makes you feel better. I reckon the giver gets more of a buzz than the recipient. I hate getting stuff. I love giving stuff. So when I pour that bucket on the tomato plants outside or the pawpaws or the finger limes or the nasturtium, a little bit of me goes, yay. You're obviously a proponent of drinking rainwater. What's so good about rainwater and what is so bad about the mains tap water? Yeah. Um, Firstly, almost 3 million Australians drink rainwater every day. No one's died drinking rainwater. South Australia has 47% of the people have rain tanks and drink it because New South Wales and Queensland steal all the water from the Murray-Darling. Um, South, South Australian Health Agency surveyed 1,100 kids on rain tank water, 1,100 kids on town water, and the kids on rain tank water had better gut health, even though they found dead rats and things in the in the tanks. So it's the first thing, it's healthy. I've got data in my house book that was prepared in partnership with New South Wales Health. I didn't want to kill my kids, so every two weeks, for 18 months, we sent samples to the lab and we compared it with town water from the tap in the lab and my water in this dirty polluted inner city suburb is cleaner than town water. The thing about chlorine, which is used to sterilize town water, is it causes cancer. In America, um, where the water industry is very diverse with lots of different players, not all government owned, the level of chlorination is half the amount allowed in Australia and it causes uh, 2% of stomach cancers and about 2,000 stillborn deaths, babies a year. In Australia, which is a small country and the water industry is dominated by government-owned businesses and they fund research, there is no comparable research of the higher level of chlorine and its impact on gut health in Australia. I went to Bathurst. They have really poor quality now. They're pouring so much chlorine into the water. My host gave me a glass of water. I went to, I raised it to my lips. I was, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, I, th- was, I thought I was drinking chlorine. So I put it down and said, I'm sorry, I can't drink that. You know what they say about wild foraging? If it looks like a stick, it probably tastes like a stick, don't eat it. If, it, if you raise a glass of chlorinated water to your mouth, if it smells like chlorine, it's probably chlorine, don't drink it. 
You've written two books, which I'll make sure to link to in the notes with this. Apart from those as the obvious answers to this question, do you have any other specific resources, books, just people in general that you like to point people to? Yeah, I would do two things. If you're in Sydney, go to the permanent exhibition at the Powerhouse Museum called Ecologic. Have a look at the model of my house. But there's some other wonderful ideas and materials there. Secondly, and seeing and touching and feeling is a great um, confidence booster. And the second thing I would say is, You've got all you need in yourself. You don't have to be like me and go around and perv on drain pipes. You can be whoever you are and do this. If it's just recycling, um, washing up water or shower water, it doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be a headline or a story. No one has to do a podcast with you. It is just within each of our own daily lives that we can do these things. And that is the best university in the best book. All the stuff in universities, just about, was not created in universities. That teaching is based on people. So Archimedes, thousands of years ago, got in the bath and it overflowed and he ran naked into the street. He discovered the theory of displacement and he put that to work in different ways. And Newton um, was sitting under an apple tree and an apple fell on his head and he started to think about gravity And Einstein was in a tram going around a town square and looked at the clock and started to form in his mind the theory of relativity. The best university, the best reading, is where we walk and talk and see in our own environment, wherever that may be each day. Beautifully put. Is there anything that we haven't touched on that you think is important for, you know, people right now to to start thinking about? The main point I want to make is Go and buy local food from local farmers markets. Talk to them. They have the news you need. And it's been a real pleasure talking to you. Thanks for coming here and drinking my water. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you so much, Michael. Okay, thanks for listening. You can find show notes with links to all the people, projects and books that were mentioned in the conversation by going to tangledpodcast.com. If you have feedback, let me know on Twitter. I'm at Julio underscore. That's H-O-O-L-I-O underscore. If you like the show, please share it and subscribe to Tangled in whichever podcast app you use. You could also rate the show in iTunes, which would be a huge help. And finally, you can sign up to my email newsletter. I'll let you know when new podcast episodes are released, and I'll send you a monthly list of good books, articles, and other podcasts to read and listen to. You can sign up at tangledpodcast.com. Thanks again for listening. I'll speak to you next time.